Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 50, following along with lesson 48, Moroni chapter 7 through 9. I am joined today by my special guest, Zach Bright. Hi, I'm Zach Bright. Um, I'm from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which is a little suburb south of Denver. Um, the reason I know Dalton is because I'm dating his sister-in-law <laughs> pretty seriously. <laughs> so <laughs> I got the honor of doing this. <laughs> um, I'm currently a student at BYU. I'm studying philosophy so I can waste my life away and thinking <laughs> so I can go to law school. Um, what else about me? I, I work at the MTC. I teach French there. And yeah, that's pretty much it. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah, so Zach is, uh, I mean, I guess you could say him and Tyra are pretty serious, <laughs> I suppose we'll say it. But, <laughs> but no, Zach, thank you for joining me on this episode. I really appreciate it. And uh, before we jump into the lesson, I just wanted to ask everyone how you enjoyed the Christmas devotional. Um, Zach, how did you enjoy the Christmas devotional? Um, I really enjoyed it. I think... Um, the two things that stood out to me most were Elder Holland's talk, which I guess is a given, but <laughs> at, the, at the same time, I really enjoyed just like how artistically he put the nativity scene, like Christ's birth and just showing the simple majesty of it. I think that's what I really, I just felt the the glory of Christ's birth in his talk. And then President Nelson's for sure really stuck out to me, in particular, the blessing actually. Yeah. Um, his emphasis on blessing us to be able to hear him was just really powerful. It just really hit me and made me want to um, be more aware of how I can increase my capacities to to hear him. I love it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I agree. I think that's what stuck out to me. I love when President Nelson gives like, and I feel like he just did it recently too, something I was listening to where he was like, as a prophet of God, I... Oh, it was that Thanksgiving message where he gave us, he literally prayed for us, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, it's just so cool to, um, I don't know, maybe it's been more common in the last couple months that I've seen it, but I remember the first time I had heard a prophetic blessing or um, an apostolic blessing given was like a devotional by Elder Holland, actually. Oh. Uh, I think it was given at Southern Utah University, could have been Dixie, wherever, and I was on my mission when I was watching it and I remember he said at the end of his talk, he's like, I now give you an apostolic blessing. And I was like, holy cow. Yeah. I was like, That's amazing. I didn't even, I didn't even know he could do that, but like, I guess he would know that he can. And so uh, it's been a rare experience, I think for me to see it, except mm -hmm. then more recently, like our prophet's done it twice. And yeah. it's just so cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love the devotional. I thought it was great. It uh, I was partially distracted because like kids were running around, but <laughs> it was still good. And if you if you didn't get an opportunity, I know it's posted online. So make sure to watch it and get into the spirit of Christmas because that's uh, that's something I do to to kick off my season. Um, but with that, let's jump into the lesson. So in the introduction, it reads: 
Before Moroni concluded the record we know today as the Book of Mormon, with his own final words, he shared three messages from his father Mormon, an address to the peaceable followers of Christ, and two letters that Mormon had written to Moroni. Perhaps Moroni included these messages in the Book of Mormon because he foresaw similarities between the perils of his day and ours. When these words were written, the Nephite people as a whole were tumbling headlong into apostasy. Many of them had lost their love, one towards another, and delighted in everything save that which is good. And yet Mormons still found cause for hope, teaching us that hope does not mean ignoring or being naive about the world's problems. It means having faith in Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, whose power is greater and more everlasting than those problems. It means laying hold upon every good thing. It means letting the atonement of Jesus Christ and the hope of His glory and of eternal life rest in your mind. And until the glorious day of Christ's second coming, it means never ceasing the labor we have to perform to conquer the enemy of all righteousness. And in the introduction, I love where it talks about having that hope doesn't mean ignoring or being naive about the world's problems. I think that's something that I know I've been attacked with in my life as a as a follower of Christ. Of People telling me like, well, you're just naive to the problems of the world. Like you just live in this happy little uh, and living in Utah, this happy little Utah bubble where, you know, the church is strong, the membership is strong, you wouldn't know what true trials are. And, uh, and you, you know, you're just blindly following mm. this faith. And I, I've received those criticisms. And um, I've actually even received those criticisms from other members, other members, <laughs> which is funny. And for me, I've never felt that way. I've never felt like I was naive to anything. Um, in some ways, I actually think receiving those criticisms almost made me a little jaded where I was like, then I, I have to prove mm. to you that I know about. And, and over time I've gained wisdom of like, you know, I don't have to prove anything. Like I can live my faith without having to apologize for it. Be an apologist for believing. Like I say my prayers, but I say my prayers because I believe, like I don't need to explain mm. why I pray. I pray because I have faith in God that he's there and he listens. So I don't need to apologize for it. Yeah. Um, that's that, that's something that stuck out to me from the introduction. But Zach, what about you? Did, was there anything in the int- introduction you liked? Um, kind of along that same thought process, just about how, um, you know, we don't need to ignore or be naive about the world's problems or our own personal problems, I guess. Um, we can acknowledge those. But what I like about the rest of this and what Mormon teaches throughout these chapters is that we have our own sphere and where we can exercise our own agency and have our own responsibility to turn to Christ, to do that which is good. Um, because um, I served my mission in France, and like the most common thing you hear, and maybe other places too, I imagine, is that there's so much bad in the world. Like, how can there be a God, basically? And the thought that just came to my mind the most um, was that, well, what are you doing in your own world, in your own sphere of people? How are you you know, adding good to the world. And I think that's turning to the Savior. And then when you turn to the Savior, that's when you turn towards others. And I think that provides yourself with a a real hope, not a naive sort of hope, but a a divine sort of hope and uh, provides others with the same as well, I think. No, I really like that. And uh, I I mean, I think it's true that like other missions probably go through that. For for me, I think it was probably less that way because... I was in the Bible Belt, so like, <laughs> all right, yeah, like we would have common ground where it's like, well, I know the Lord and Savior is is real and He's there for me. So we didn't have that struggle of like, yeah. do you believe in God, right? Like, 
but we did have the struggle in other ways. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure other missions probably do. I think, you know, what I really liked um, was was how when you were talking about like in similar ways, how can you know with all the bad in the world, with all the the stuff, like how is there a God sort of thing or or anything like that? I guess like in my head, I'm like. How could there not like how could there not be, right? Like how depressing would that be? I know, like if there's if there's nothing and this world is just so terrible, like then what what do we have to hope yeah. for? And uh it's funny, like almost by that same argument, because I get it, there's so much that does happen. Mm. To me, it's like, well, that's how I know there has to be God. Yeah. And uh and and maybe I just am like getting to that place in a weird illogical way but to me i'm like no but truly like if there's not that i am a super depressed person there's nothing yeah. to hope for and it doesn't get better yeah. um so anyway those are my thoughts and, and uh and thanks for sharing yours yeah. on in uh, ideas for personal scripture study in the the first section first chunk it says the light of christ helps me judge between good and evil and one of the lines that stuck out to me as i was, was reading through it says um, in Moroni 7, it gives us several principles we can use to avoid judging wrongfully. As you study Moroni 7, 12 to 20, look for truths that can help you know what will bring you closer to God and what won't. So that's where, that's kind of the way I directed my study on these. And three verses stuck out primarily. Oh, actually four, I lied. But one was in 7, verse 12. It says, Wherefore, all things which are good cometh of God, and that which is evil cometh of the devil. For the devil is an enemy unto God, and fighteth against him continually, and inviteth and enticeth to sin, and to do that which is evil continually. And I, I love how we start off by breaking it down of like, let's make it simple. <laughs> everything good is from God, and everything bad is from Satan. So that's like number one. I'm like, that's perfect. And then in verse 13, it says, But behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. And I don't know about you. I have had questions in my life where I've been like, was that, like, should I be doing this thing? Is that, mm-hmm. and it's like a good thing. Like, it's like, go serve someone. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should. <laughs> and it's like so easy because like, does it, does it inspire you to do good? Oh, then it's from God. Yeah. And it, to me, the most complicated thing is trying to figure out like what is or isn't from God. That's where I like mm-hmm. think I've struggled throughout my life of with revelation in particular. And not that it's necessarily always easy because it's not. And there's definitely been times where it's been very difficult. But as far as the keys of knowing revelation, like it is nice to have a key of like, does it inspire you to do good? Then keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't inspire you to do good, then stop. So that's something that I think cuts through the baloney of life. In verse 15, it says, For behold, my brethren, it is given unto you to judge that you may know good from evil. And the way to judge is as plain, that you may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. Uh, referencing Batman. But also, <laughs> going back to that thought of confusion, like it can be confusing. And yet here, uh, Mormon is saying, no, it's actually pretty easy. Like, if you have the Spirit, if you have the light of Christ in you, you'll be able to discern with a perfect knowledge the same as you can discern, like, light from day. And I love that. And I think we do ourselves a terrible disservice when we allow ourselves to, like, fit into the world's confusion Mm -hmm. and be part of the world on that. And then we get confused, and it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, 
maybe right isn't right and maybe wrong isn't wrong. And then we take ourselves and put ourselves into the, the world instead of God's view where it's like, nope, this is right, this is wrong. And, and anyway, and then the last verse was in verse 18. It says, and now my brethren, seeing that you know the light by which you may judge, which light is the light of Christ, see that you do not judge wrongfully. I love that line right there. It says, for with that same judgment you judge, you shall also be judged. Uh, and that do not judge wrongfully is kind of a turn from, I think, the lesson that we're taught by our parents, just like naturally, right? Or or even in the Bible, where it's like, do not judge. See that you mm-hmm. judge not, that you be not judged. But I feel like this is a good clarifying verse right here in 18, where it says, see that you not you do not judge wrongfully. So we're not actually commanded not to judge. We're commanded not to judge wrongfully, which I think is a huge clarification. I think that that... Um, like it, it helps to to me know that no I am supposed to be a judge plus I, I've always thought it's weird that we talk about we're on this life to learn how to become like God and yet then people follow up with like but don't judge anyone or anything mm-hmm. right it's like well how can I learn to become like God the judge the great judge but you're going to tell me don't judge and I I get it there's a danger in judging obviously because like uh, if you judge some someone and you judge them wrongly that's a sin Mm-hmm. Uh, but the lesson isn't like, okay, so then just don't judge at all. That's like, just don't make any mistakes. It's it's learn how to judge the way God judges, not the way man judges, because man judges terribly. Mm-hmm. God's the ultimate judge. And so those four verses, I think, helped me to gain insight both into how to judge, how to discern. Um, it really is easy with the Holy Ghost, with the light of Christ, and Satan and I talked about this in last week's podcast, that Satan pretzelizes, uh, getting that from, uh, dang it, I can't even remember, Maxwell, Neil A. Maxwell, who said that. It was a great line that Satan tries to pretzelize arguments to make us have to, like, explain things and stuff. And I think that's so perfect because God just cuts through that, and it's like, nope, here's the way. So that's what I got. Zach, what did you get uh, talking about the light of Christ helps me judge between good and evil? First of all, Elder Maxwell is just a word genius. I love that. <laughs> Truly is. He's, he's like thousands of one-liners that are just like, whoa. Was um, he a lawyer? Huh? Well, do you know yeah, if he, he was, was a lawyer? I was, okay. <laughs> I was, like, was going to say, I was like, it just feels like he had to be a lawyer because yeah, he, he truly is like just a master craftsman with words. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> um, I really got a lot out of this chapter as well, actually. Well, this section about mm-hmm. like judgment. Um First of all, with my major, we talk a lot about, like, good and evil, like, what's right and what's wrong. I'm really into, like, studying ethics, and um, I precede that with um, something Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, and a lot of people say, but I heard it from him. Um, (laughs) He said, the gospel is simple, but we make it complicated. And I think God truly is simple and that we complicate it. And, you know, being in front of philosophy all the time, it's amazing how intricate you can get with, like, just the ethics of anything, of whether you can be honest and kind at the same time. Like, they bring up, like, if a woman asks you, do I look fat in this dress? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> what like, what's right? What's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. But what I like about this is that Mormon really puts it simply that God has given us to judge um, and he has given us the the ability to to judge righteously, um, and that's on us to to be worthy to to have the gift of the Holy Ghost to help with that. Um, but two schools of thought: one comes from preach my gospel. 
I was reading and preaching my gospel one time, and um, in chapter seven, it's about learning a language, which I do with a lot. <laughs> work, yeah. so. We just skipped <laughs> over that chapter. <laughs> <when> I... <laughs> yeah. But President Monson has a quote in there that I think is really important. He says, more important than learning the language of your mission is learning the language of the spirit. And when I read that, it hit me because I had read Moroni 7 that day as well. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> learning, a, like the process of learning a language, it's learning the language of the spirit is the exact same thing. And when you learn a language, you got to make, I don't want to, they're mistakes, but you perfect it over time. Yeah, and I no, think absolutely. it's the same thing with judgments. You, you may think something is good and Heavenly Father lets you judge that, but you may discover it may not have been the best thing. Yeah. Um, but it's a learning process and I think it's, okay that it's a learning process and I think that's where it comes into not judging others is that we're all learning how to judge yeah. but you still need to do it and which brings me to the second point which I got into this weave where I found this talk by President Oaks um, given in 1999 called Judge Not and Judging. I, I was literally I kid you not <laughs> I was thinking as you were just talking I was like I was like, man, there there was a talk by Elder Oaks <laughs> yeah. that was like right on the, so this is perfect go yeah. ahead. <laughs> so um, I'll read two paragraphs of it. Um, well, one's a little snippet, and it says, The key is to understand that there are two kinds of judging. Final judgments, which we are forbidden to make, and intermediate judgments, which we are directed to make, but upon righteous principles. So he talks about how final judgment is deeming someone to never be able to change and that they're doomed for you know fire and brimstone, mm-hmm. gnashing of teeth, the whole shebang. Yeah. <laughs> There's no hope for this person. We should not do that because that's... That's mockery to what the atonement of Jesus Christ is. That's mockery to what life is. And it goes back to what Mormon said, you know, um, kind of the way you judge others is how you're going to be judged. So if you're yep. super critical of others, prepare to be super critiqued. <laughs> it's coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I want to find the paragraph where he talks about intermediate judgment. He, like, goes through all the principles in one beautiful summary. Uh, let's see. And just while you're looking for that, I do want to recommend to anyone that hasn't read this talk before, like, go find it. It truly is, like, this is a, one, it fits perfectly with this lesson. Um, And talking about judgment, I I mean, literally, I think, bases part of it off the, the section of reading. But two, I think it just helps clarify so much about uh, I mean, I actually used this talk on my parents at one point where we were in a discussion where they were like t- telling me I judge too too many people too often. And I was like, well, actually, there's a man named Elder Oaks. You might have heard him, kind of famous. And uh, no, but we actually had an opportunity then as a family to go through this talk and it helped both them be like, okay, all right, I see where you're coming from. And then they were also able to then use that and say, all right, but you're still wrong in (laughs) these aspects because you're, like, being harsh on your judgment. And I was like, that's fair. Yeah. And so, like, this talk is a great talk. I really do recommend it. So go ahead. Yeah, so here's a summary of principles that he goes over. I think he goes over seven principles. But he says, in the intermediate judgments, so the not final judgments, we must make, we should take care to judge righteously. We should seek the guidance of the Spirit in our decisions. We should limit our judgments to our own stewardships. Whenever possible, we should refrain from judging people until we have an adequate knowledge of the facts. Um, so far as possible, we should judge circumstances rather than people. In, our, in all our judgments, we should apply righteous standards, and in all of this, we must remember the command to forgive. Um, I just think that's 
beautifully and simply put by by President Oaks that you know. Honestly, if you're if you're pure and you have the right intentions, um, we should judge others. Um, there are many circumstances, and that doesn't mean it's unrighteous. We're commanded to do it righteously. Um, the Savior did it Himself, and um, I think it's it's part of our learning process. Like you said, I really like what you said. That it, we're we're here to learn to become like God and to become like our Savior Jesus Christ, and we need to have practice of of that righteous judgment to learn. And I think, I mean, ultimately, right, it really is learning how to judge in a way that's not permanent to, to be able to say, like, you know, this person might not be someone who I'm going to, like, use as my example right now. However, I'm going to learn from their life or, like, what – and I do this a lot where I'll be, like – and I got I get called out for this all the time in my family for being too <laughs> critical of people. I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not criticizing – whoever it is that I'm talking about. I'm not criticizing them for, like, they'll never change. Because I just don't believe that people are so stagnant that they can't change. Oh, yeah. And that would be a mockery to the atonement, like, and, and Elder Oaks, to President Oaks, I guess, now. But talks about that in that talk, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do think it's, like, if there's someone who constantly shows signs of bad behavior, especially when it's, like, either personal or to other people that you're, like, you can witness and observe it and be like, okay, this is a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. this is an ethically yeah. wrong thing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's tough to, for me at least, it's tough to not point it out or to be like, this is wrong, <laughs> yeah. what they're doing. And I, I look at it less of like, and they for sure can't make it into heaven because of that because I don't think that. But I look at it as, so what can I learn from this behavior? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm able to observe it. So what can I do then to not re- replicate that behavior in myself? Because I think that's where a lot of people... I've seen this a lot, and the, there's certain people, I don't know if it's a personality type or just specific to the individuals, but where they, like, are so firm on the don't judge that then they just don't judge anything, yeah. and they'll never say something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And actually, someone just popped into my head right away, so I'm like, <laughs> they do this all the time. Uh, but they, they're an incredibly loving person. They love everybody but they never call out bad behavior because they're like, well, it's not for me to call it. I'm like, it 100%. Yeah. I was like, because then you surround yourself with that bad behavior and you're like, well, it's not affecting me, but everything affects us. Like, mm-hmm. that'd be like saying, well, watching horrible movies, like R-rated trash movies yeah. constantly has no effect on my soul. That, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's the content <laughs> we feel ourselves. And so I think the same with like, there are people in your life where it's like, well, I'm not making a judgment call. You don't have to make a judgment call on their soul. But if you don't say, like, this particular behavior is not for me, mm-hmm. and instead you're just always accepting, I'm like, then where do you stand as yeah. a person? So mm-hmm. um, I won't go off anymore on that because I think you did a fantastic job of summarizing his talks. And I think if I go too far, I'll, <laughs> I'll end up, like, steering us astray. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on on this particular Oh, just one last thing, and he, he talks about it in this talk, but I think the Savior does a great example of the woman who committed adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, just recognizing, I mean, he he can say that that was wrong, and everyone recognized that it was wrong in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also left room for change. He said, yeah. I do not condemn thee. Um, you know, go and sin no more. Yeah. So he, he she, know, she should know that it was wrong, and she... she he pointed it out, but he also left that door open. So yeah. I think, once again, 
Savior provides the perfect example. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he has a way of doing yeah. that. He's pretty good at it. It's, uh, and, no, it's, uh, and, I, and I love that. Thank you. So let's move on to the next chunk. It says, uh, through faith in Christ, I can lay hold upon every good thing. And um, once again, there's a question in here that kind of led my, my thoughts. It says, look for truths that help you recognize every good thing you have because of Jesus Christ. And so, I don't know, go figure. Following the pattern again, there were four verses that stuck out to me. So seven in uh, chapter 7, verse 21, it says, And now I come to that faith, of which I said I would speak, and I will tell you the way, whereby you may lay hold on every good thing. I just want to point out, that's a Mandalorian reference. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you the way. This the is way. the way. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> so that's the only thought of that verse. In verse 27, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, have miracle have miracles ceased, because Christ hath ascended into heaven, and hath, hath sat down on the right hand of God to claim of the Father his rights of mercy, which he hath upon the children of men. Uh, that made me think, have miracles ceased in my life? The answer for sure is no, absolutely not. And I ask that question to you, have miracles ceased in your life? And if you feel like the answer is yes, then I think you need to ask yourself, why do you feel that way? And are you, uh, one, do you recognize what a miracle is? Two, if not, like miracles are, miracles do not precede faith. They are the product of faith. So where can you be increasing your faith? What can you do personally? And think about that question. And I think, um, I just think that was like a, a great question for the restoration even, right? Where it's like, have miracles ceased because Christ is gone? Because he ascended into heaven, because a lot of the churches in the day of the restoration believe that, that the heavens were closed, everything that had been done by Christ was done. And that's just, to me, it's like a, a logical fallacy. Like, how, how could you believe that? that because Christ did his mission, now everything's just done. Like, it makes no sense to me. In verse 30, uh, says, For behold, they are subject unto him to minister according to the word of his command, showing themselves unto them of strong faith and a firm mind in every form of godliness. Talking about angels. And I think that's a really cool uh, thing for us. A key of understanding is that angels will show themselves unto you and me. Be- and it shows unto them with strong faith and a firm mind. And that's what we need to be working for, is having strong faith, a firm mind in every form of godliness. And also recognizing that angels are not just from the other side, but here on earth as well. Um, I have interacted and continue to interact with angels here on immortality that I have found to just be angelic people. And I'm super grateful for my interactions, both with messengers from the other side as well as messengers here. And then finally, in verse 37, it says, Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, woe be unto the children of men, for it is because of unbelief, and all is vain. That's super powerful to me. That's a, that's a powerful sign. If in your life personally, not just on the world, if in your life personally, you feel like miracles have ceased, and you're not having interactions with angels, whether that be from the other side, or like I pointed out, angels on this side, angels in mortality, then I then... I think that's a good indicator that there's something wrong in your faith. And to look at that and recognize, okay, so what do I need to do? And not look at it like, uh, and, I, and I've seen this in friends where they've, they've this, like said, miracles don't happen for me. They happen for everyone else. They don't happen for me. And that's to me, has been an indicator of like, if something doesn't change, they will be on their way out. 
of, of belief of their testimony and it's happened. And, um, so I think take that as a sign and be like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. this is a good, like a road marker and where mm-hmm. I'm at, I would like to receive more miracles or see more miracles and not, not as miracles as a way to therefore increase your faith, mm-hmm. but more of as an indicator of where your faith is at. Um, so those are some of the thoughts of like what I can be doing, what you can be doing to be laying hold upon every good thing is it's increase your faith, become strong in the gospel, but have a firm mind and then recognize that like miracles, interactions with angels, uh, these are good things and things that we should be striving for. Uh, but Zach, what thoughts do you have? Many. Um, <laughs> I I like the question at the end of this where it says, how, how can you lay hold on more good things? Or just I just thought of like, how can you... How can you lay hold of every good thing? Um, and I immediately thought of, you know, the greatest thing, which is there's a Nigerian man who once told me Jesus is the sweetest cake. And I think that's a great <laughs> indication of like the greatest thing is, is Jesus. Um, but just how when you when you focus, like it talks about faith, hope and charity. And I think those are like the, the logical principles and steps like to live by. But I think when all that is focused on the Savior, um, that's when the miracles come into place. And it's not necessarily maybe the miracles come into place, but maybe we're, we're more aware of them um, as well because um, they, they very well could be happening. And I, I would argue that they are happening and you're just not recognizing them. Um, and that's not every circumstance. I'm sure life goes exponentially better when you actually do exercise faith, and right. <laughs> exercise hope and charity. Um, but, you know, Elder Uchtdorf said one time um, in a talk that that's a three-legged stool and I think at the base of that stool, like the top is, is the savior. It's the foundation for all those. And so when you have that focus on him, that I think that's how you become able to lay hold upon every good thing. And, you know, how can you not just glorify in the majesties of, I don't know, the, the miracles that the, the Lord has provided? Um, me, myself, I can remember a time where I... Um, you know, you wonder not just if God is there, but if, I guess if there are miracles, if he's present in your life, it just feels like there are no good things um, either happening in your own life or you yourself are not a good person. Um, but honestly, in, in those moments, um, especially in, in high school for me, um, there was a time where the only good thing I could lay hold on was the Savior. And once I made that decision, um, that's when everything in my life changed. Um, and that's for me personally. And um, I think of, of all the miracles, I think the miracle of the Savior is what stands out most to me. And laying hold on that and what he's, he's done for me in the past. Um, you hear a lot in the Book of Mormon about remembering. And I, I think... The prophets in the Book of Mormon do a good job of this, of remembering the good things the Lord has done in the past, because they cite usually the children of Israel. But still, in your own life, you need to think about the times when when the Lord was there for you and how, how he, will, he will help you again. Um, and it's not just helping you. It will, you know, often oftentimes, Elder Bednar says this, oftentimes we focus on like the, 
the uh, what's it called the redeeming power mm-hmm. of the savior and um but there's also an enabling power there's yep. both and so laying hold on every good thing maybe you're in a spot where you're away from the savior and you're in a dark place well laying hold on the savior will take you to a good thing and maybe you'll start going to church maybe you'll start studying a little more maybe you'll pray more sincerely i don't i don't know there are myriad of things but um maybe you're in a good spot but you need to turn to the savior still and he'll help you do even better um it was president mckay who said the gospel the purpose of the gospel is to make bad men good and and good men better and i think that that's the principle of um laying hold upon the good thing i guess i'm i'm editing mormon's words (laughs) (laughs) for me that's that's what it is no i think that's perfect and i think you know and you're talking about right like once you made that commitment and once you Mm. saw that miracle right like everything changed and i think yeah i've had that experience in my life as well and and for me what i recognized is sometimes the greatest trial in our life is the fact that we have that decision to make of like Will we be committed to Christ? Mm. And even just the idea of Christ. Will we be committed to that idea? How far will our faith, will we allow our faith to carry us? And for me, the worst trials in my life, throughout my entire life, have been far less of what's happened to me, what's occurred to me, or things that have been done. It's been the mental um, determination of Mm. like, how committed am I to to keeping my testimony, to keeping my faith, to believing that Christ can carry me through all things? How committed am I to that thought? And every time without fail that I make and renew that commitment, that determination and say, you know what, no matter what happens, even if my life gets worse because of this, I am determined and committed to Christ. Um, it doesn't always get better right away or within a short period of time. But 100%, that struggle I was going through of like, will I, won't I, once that's taken away, because I took it away by making that choice, that carries me, like I can, my eyes are opened and I can see the little things that like the gospel does for me in my life every day and it helps carry me through. And so, you know, the more things I go through in my life and continually make that determination and not turn away from Christ, like it's true, every great thing that's ever been that ever, ever in my entire life has been because of my belief in Christ and in the atonement and in the gospel and staying committed to that. And like there's nothing that I've been able to do for myself. No, nothing has been granted me because of, <laughs> of me or who I am or anything like that. And so I feel like that's gotten to me to a point where it's like, uh, n- not that I think I have like this perfect faith or anything. Because if I did, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I would be up there already so being like, Nick. what up? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like I, I've gotten to a point where I have deep confidence that I can overcome all things as long as I remain committed to Christ. And I think that, to me, has been the miracle of my life, is that no matter what, I know I can overcome all things. And, that, and some days when I think about it, that's a scary prospect because mm-hmm. I've been through scary things. Uh anyone that's like listened to my podcast over the last couple months would know that for months I had been struggling with a faith-based thing about my career and it was far less about what I was experiencing and far more about like 
just the mental battle, the belief of am I worthy of good things? Like, does God even remember that I'm here? Those types of things. And the moment that I was like, you know what, regardless of if anything changes in my life or not, regardless if I get carried through this trial or not, I am committed to Christ and committed. The moment I did that, my life got infinitely better, even though nothing changed for like two months. Mm -hmm. Like the trial can remained for two more months. <laughs> but to me, it was like I was carried through it. It really was like it, 100%. I was carried through that. And I just think, man, I could have been carried through it so much faster if I would have in the <laughs> beginning of that, back in February, been like, you know what? No matter what comes my way, I'm committed. And and sometimes that's the lesson. Sometimes we have to go through those those trials so that I you can learn from them. And like we talked about earlier, sometimes you make mistakes and that's what this life is for. You know, it's not the... It's not the lack of failure that makes a success, successful person, but it's how we respond to those failures and rely on Christ mm -hmm. through those failures that I think that makes a truly successful mortal experience. Mm -hmm. um, did you have any further thoughts on on the laying hold or yeah laying hold upon every good thing? No, that was very well said. I think that was perfect. Then and the next chunk it says charity is the pure love of Christ. I didn't get too much from this chunk, but I will read um, this portion where it says. President Dallin H. Oaks observed, the reason charity never fails and the reason charity is greater than even the most significant acts of goodness is that charity, the pure love of Christ, is not an act, but a condition or a state of becoming. Charity is something one becomes. I love that. I think that is just such a cool way to look at charity and to think about it. And then it says, why do we need faith and hope to receive the gift of charity? My thought there is that it's uh, the faith leads into hope of our faith in Christ acting and it's, it's essentially the scientific method, but just like yeah. the right way of looking at yeah, it. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and as we act on that, then we see these miracles. We see like God really is there. That gives us a hope that we believe in a better, a better life, a better world that we can actually become perfect through the atonement. Uh, that's where the hope comes from. And then, but in verse uh, 46 of chapter 7, and this I think is an interesting clarifier for why charity, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing, for charity never faileth. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. And I thought about that, all things must fail, and then how charity doesn't. Um, with with what President Oak says about how it's a, it's not an act, it's a condition. Well, that makes sense. As we become charitable, we become charity. And uh, I think it's James 2. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's in James 2. But it, in some scripture in the Bible, it says God is love. Uh, otherwise, like, I look at it like God is charity. Mm. That, that he, God is God because of, the like, who he is, who he's become. And if so it's like this weird we web that I wish I would have written this down because I think I would have got, like, explained it more clearly. But my thought that comes from this is that, is that faith will fail. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to, right? The, yeah. the the progression of faith is that it becomes knowledge. And once it becomes knowledge, it's no longer faith. Mm -hmm. So faith is done away with. So faith will fail. And hope will fail because hope is to lead us unto Christ. But once we're there, we don't need a hope anymore because we know, once again, knowledge overcomes. But charity, who we've become, what we've become, that can't fail. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is like faith and hope are building blocks of charity but the reason like charity is the greatest of all is because it doesn't fail. It doesn't go away. What we become, the product of our life never fails. And I just think that is the most, 
I feel like there's some really deep things here <laughs> yeah. that I'm just like at the doorstep <laughs> of, so I can't even like tell you what the house looks like. But I just know I'm like, there's a thought there that I've never really like even stopped to consider until this lesson. I'm like, whoa, yeah. hold <laughs> up. Like I've got to study this and deep dive this. And so I think it's like, well, especially just this last part of that verse, all things must fail. Um, I mean, how far can we take that? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty far. <laughs> so, so that was my thought on that. What, what were your thoughts on charity is the pure love of Christ? Well, first, I think hope will fail would make a great paradoxical T-shirt <laughs> <laughs> for the church. That would be excellent. <laughs> Faith will fail, hope will fail. <laughs> and then they're like selling charity. <laughs> Deseret book, fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not my thought. <laughs> um, I think I'll just say that you know. It, it is that acting. I mean, that's what faith and hope are, is to help you get to that pure love state of being, I would say. And uh, along with that, um, I totally lost my thought. Hmm. Never mind. Wait. Well, charity. I might come back. So charity. Charity. T-shirts. T-shirts. <laughs> charity, pure love of Christ. Oh, yeah. Okay, got it. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think... President David O. McKay, one of his favorite quotes was that charity is love in action. Mm-hmm. And um, Elder Bednar teaches, um, he reminds us that, you know, those um, miraculous things, ch- charity is a gift of God. And so it's something that we need to receive from him to, you know, and I think it's something we receive multiple times um, so that we can grow into it. Um, and he makes a comparison to Elder Bednar, the children of Israel when they needed to cross I want to say the River Jordan, but I don't think it is. So they're crossing a river with the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> but the point was that the waters didn't part until they got their feet wet, um, which is a very important principle that you need to kind of dive in before the Lord takes over. It's the same thing with Peter in the boat. Um, you know, you do all this preparation and all you can do, but... W- once you do that, the Lord will step in and he will provide that that Christ-like love. And I think um, one of the greatest manifestations of, of charity is not so much your love that you feel for the person, but that you both can feel Christ's love. I think that um, there's not quite a feeling other than that. I don't know. That's a very celestial feeling, I would say. I, I absolutely agree. I, and I think that's like the the power of the sealing covenant, right? Where it's mm, you bring mm. two people and it's not just a covenant between two people though. It's between three. Mm, yeah. And it's the only covenant that's like that. And I just think that's, uh, I think that's a great point that the point of the sealing covenant is bonding two people with Christ. Mm-hmm. And then it's through Christ that makes up all the difference between the, because obviously you're bringing two people who are imperfect <laughs> to the <laughs> altar, quite literally. Oh, yeah. And they are sacrificing everything. If, the, if, if as a couple we, we look at the covenant properly, we recognize that we're actually supposed to sacrifice everything that we have on that altar yeah. to give it to Christ, knowing that as the third member of that relationship, he will make all the difference. And, and so many marriages fail, so many temple marriages, celestial marriages fail because the couple never grasp onto the concept that of the covenant they made was not, well, I'll bring my weaknesses and you'll bring your weaknesses, but I assume your weaknesses get better. Yeah. And mine can stay the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what so what happens so often in marriage is that it's it's recognizing like like Lex is imperfect. Mm-hmm. 
I'm pretty close to perfect. But <laughs> no, I'm deeply imperfect. Anyone that knows me knows I am deeply imperfect. And I'm fully aware, well, mostly fully aware of my imperfections. And I never look at it like, sometimes I get frustrated, right? Like, yeah. that's what marriage is about. Yeah. Sometimes I get frustrated. I'm like, if you would just do this, <laughs> we'd be closer to perfection. Right? And she does the same with me. But but recognizing, and I, and I do keep this in mind all the time, is like, but we're both nothing without that third member of our relationship. And I know she does the same. And that's why, like, I mean, you know, we're five years strong. It's not like <laughs> forever. But uh, in those five years, every time there's been something that could separate us, we recognize that by separating each other, we've separated ourselves from Christ. Yeah. And, and we feel it. And it's a horrible feeling, which is why we're very quick to jump on and stop that separation. Because, and our stake president told us when we went to get married, he said, God, the greatest thing he did for us in the garden was create enmity between man and Satan. Mm -hmm. He gave us something to recognize, to hate, essentially, right? He gave us a, a person, Satan, to hate because in a relationship, it can be very frustrating. Yeah. But if I recognize... Anytime that like I feel angry, frustrated, dissatisfied, if I can recognize that's Satan trying to breed that, then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Satan, back off. I love my <laughs> wife and I need to remember that love versus these negative feelings that are being brought up. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that anyway, that's been something as far as the covenant. The other thing, dang it, and I think I lost it. You had said something before that I really liked. It was before this, uh, hmm. Yeah, that was it. That was literally it. Uh, not that this is part of the lesson, but I did love that point you brought up of like, get your feet wet, right? Get, like, do that faith. It's interesting how God did that with the progression, though, with the children of Israel, because the first time he parted the sea, yeah. mm -hmm. he didn't expect anyone but Moses to get in. But then the second time he tested their faith more. They'd already seen it once. Mm. Then he was like, okay, no, no, now all of you need to wade into the water. And that is a perfect to me example of how our life is that our life is a progression. So if you go through one trial and you overcome it faithfully, don't expect it to be as easy the next time. <laughs> yeah. The point is not to give you yeah. trials that you can continuously like, oh, I've done this before. And I think so often as members, we get so frustrated because we're like, I don't understand. I already conquered something. Why are you testing my faith? That's the point. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's just so sad to me when I see people who have like overcome so much in their life through faith. And they just come to that thing that they're like, you know what, I'm done. I'm calling yeah. it quits. And it's like, that was the point. Yep. That was the point, right? You were on the path to progression. The it's it's progression, not like oh, this gets easier. In some aspects, it does. I think, mm -hmm. um, like for me, w with this most recent trial, hardest thing I've ever been through that I can remember, because it was different. Yeah. It was a different trial. As far as the actuality of the trial, not that hard. As far as what happened mentally, hardest thing I've ever been through, which was, and I talked, I told people that I'm like, it just feels ridiculous that yeah. this is so hard <laughs> for me. But I, but it, it was easier in the sense of I was like, but I know that through all the trials I've been through, there's no one else I can rely on but Christ. So yeah. in that sense, it got easier. As far as the trials itself, much harder, much, much harder. And that is the beauty of this life. And so anyway, I thought that was a great point you brought up. And I just wanted to bring up that random point that had nothing to do with anything <laughs> other than here's a different principle. Yeah. <laughs> but so it goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on charity? No. I, on the next chunk, can my chastity and virtue be taken from me? I just want to read this, and, and um, 
not there's not someone specific, but there was. Once in my life, there was someone specific that I think could have used this. So I want to just bring this up. It says that Elder Richard G. Scott clarified on this one case. You can read the whole trunk yourself to know what we're talking about. But it says, he taught, I solemnly testify that when another's acts of violence, perversion, or incest hurt you terribly against your will, you are not responsible and you must not feel guilty. And I think there's a lot of terrible things that happen to people, and specifically in this case. And I, in high school, had a friend that I think could have used this specific talk. I think, um, I think we just need to recognize and remember and be sensitive to the fact that horrible things happen to people. But when something happens to you against your will, uh, things of that nature, then there's a full spectrum. I couldn't even cover all of them. Mm. But you're not the problem. And not to feel that way. And, and not to feel like in the gospel that you're the problem either. God doesn't look at you like that. So I, I just, that's all I have. I don't really have anything deeper other than I do know there are people out there that have had things happen where they struggle with that. And I just wish they would understand true doctrine so that that wouldn't be a struggle. Because that would be a horrible struggle. I can't imagine what that would be like. I just know it would suck. So, any other thoughts on? No. I had no thoughts on I can have hope in Christ regardless of my circumstances. I mean, that sounds terrible. Like, <laughs> wow, I don't think that's true. No, I think that's true. There's just nothing I gained from that particular chunk that I studied. Did you get anything that you pulled from that chunk? Uh, I did. It's my favorite chapter in the Book of Mormon, so I... <laughs> Please do that. Yeah. Um, what I really, really, really like about this chapter is... You know, as far as, like, bad circumstances go, like, we, I feel like we can sympathize a lot with Mormon and Moroni these days, you know, quarantining, being alone, <laughs> separated from people. These guys know. They understand <laughs> 2020. <laughs> they got it. But I will say that we are not in a such a bad place where our people are eating each other or that everyone's fighting and killing each other. So I count my blessings there. But <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But the thing is, I really do, honestly, I, I mean, the chapter is just absolutely depressing. Um, and it's so dark and it's so emotional and it's amazing. Like every bad thing that could happen is happening it, to their people, to the people they love, friends, um, maybe family, um, presumably. Um, but it all comes down to just like these last two verses um, and I just think they're so powerful. And I'll read verse 25. Um, it's a favorite of mine. It says, My son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee to weigh thee down unto death. But may Christ lift thee up, and may his sufferings and death and the showing of his body unto our fathers and his mercy and long suffering, and the hope of his glory and of eternal life rest in your mind forever. I mean, I'm can't say it any better, um, obviously, but I just think, may Christ lift thee up, his sufferings, death, and the showing of his body. Um, and I just, the atonement of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself. Um, I think, well, I know every, everyone goes through trials and there are many dark circumstances in our life. Um, but when we I don't know, we talked about it earlier, but when you when you make that commitment, and not just commitment, but you recognize who the Savior is, um, you learn who He is, um, then you'll never, you'll never 
not fall away. You'll never not feel joy. And that doesn't mean nonsensical happiness. Um, it's, it's joy. It's having that hope and that realistic, faithful perspective, I think, on life. And the miracles will happen. Um, I think for, for me, I, I explained earlier a little bit that, you know, I think like anyone in high school, I had a really hard time. Um, but my mission was special for me um, because it taught me the most important lesson I think anyone could learn. Um, and that's that the Savior lives. And I think once you come to know that he lives, that's when everything just falls into place. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, we talked about it earlier, so I won't repeat everything. But um, And I'm still learning that, that he lives. I think I, I try and look every day to see how he lives, um, how he's active in my life, how he's helping me, how he's helping others, and um, how I can make him noticeable to, to others. And I mean, live in a spiritual sense, but he is a physically like real person as well. And he, he did something that we all seek to understand. And as we seek to understand, we see the beauty of, as Mormon said, his, his mercy and, and his grace. Um, and we can have that, that eternal hope. Really like that. Like, I feel like that needs to be another hashtag is hashtag how he lives. Because yeah. like he lives is obviously fantastic. But I think, like, for me in my life, the hashtag how he lives is obviously what I'm trying to do mm, in my life. Yeah. So I thought that was a, that's a good thought. Um, anything further on that, Chuck? No. So let's go on to ideas for family scripture study and family home evening. Um, in the first chunk, it's Moroni 7, verses 5 through 11. And, and it was the verse 5 that stuck out where it says, For I remember the word of God, which saith, By their works ye shall know them. For if their works be good, then they are good also. And... I just, just from this chunk, really what I got is that we really can judge the works. Mm -hmm. That's how we should be judging is, is the works. And, you know, it's not necessarily like their works are bad. Like as far as a person, their works are bad. Therefore, they are bad. Mm. More of like, well, their works are bad though. Yeah. <laughs> and their, or their works are good. And, and so if someone's works are bad, like I said, probably not someone you want as your example. And yet so mm -hmm. often I feel like people... Will like be like, well, but they're not a bad person, so I'm still gonna follow them. I'm like, but their works are bad. <laughs> yeah. So like, why are you upholding them as a as a leader, as a mentor, whatever it is? Like, with celebrities all the time, I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, why do people hold these celebrities up as idols when like they're not doing good works? <laughs> Just because they're popular does not make them a good person. Yeah. Um, so something that I keep in mind for for my children. So did you have any thoughts from that chunk or? No, just amen. Yeah. Uh, anything from the chunk of uh, Moroni 7, 12 to 19? Uh, pretty much it talks about how can Mormons counsel help us make good choices and who we spend time with. Mm. I think it just kind of goes back to the original thing. I mean, look at your friends' works. And maybe that changes over time. Because um, I've yeah. had friends where they started out as great friends, but then they started doing things and you just got to kind of distance yourself from that. That doesn't mean you distance them. I still talk to a lot of my friends, um, but I I won't hang out with them, per yeah. se. <laughs> no, I th and I think that's perfect, actually. Like, I think, like, I've had the same thing, and just not cutting someone off, but yeah. separating yourself from those activities that 
wouldn't be conducive yeah, to the spirit, right? It's like what Nephi did to Laman and Lemuel. Yeah. He separated himself. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I'm no, sure like, he loved them still. Yeah. <laughs> Probably didn't do family reunions anymore after that <laughs> yeah, point. I mean, it was awkward. They tried to kill him. But, <laughs> but no, for sure. Um, anything from the next uh, chunk where it's Moroni 729. Mm. Uh, let's see. It talks about after reading this verse, family members could talk about miracles they've witnessed or other ways that they have seen God's hand in their life. Any, any thoughts on that? No, I think. Yeah. Um, so then... In Moroni 8, 5 through 26, it says, What did the Nephites who were baptizing little children misunderstand about the atonement of Jesus Christ? What do we learn about the atonement from Mormon's message? And so there were two verses here um, that I liked. One was in verse 8. It says, Listen to the words of Christ, your Redeemer, your Lord, and your God. Behold, I came into the world not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole need no physician, but they that are sick. And that, I, there's more to the verse, but that's actually where I'll stop because... I highlighted that because I need the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I know I'm not perfect, yeah. obviously. But also to recognize that if I can recognize I need the physician, then I have no right to judge anyone else who needs the physician mm-hmm. in the ways of, you know, I'm somehow better than someone. So it's like, you know, I feel like we're going full circle here. On one hand, I'm saying, we need to learn to judge. But on the other hand, <laughs> just be careful with that judgment. I think yeah. too often we really do judge unrighteously. And we don't mean to. But when we do, recognize that that's unrighteous and repent. And and I, to me, I always do my best to remember I'm no better than anyone else because I need Christ. I need the physician when I'm sitting there in church. Um, everyone else is there for the same reason. And so the great equalizer... You know, I've talked about the evils of socialism in a, in a prior podcast. And it feels like too often in the world people are looking for ways we can all be equal. To me, the great equalizer is that we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. We all need Christ. If you're looking for how are we all the same, it's because we all need Christ. And and that is the great equalizer. So uh, that was one thought and then in verse 12. It says, but little children are alive in Christ even from the foundation of the world. If not so, God is a partial God and also a changeable God and a respecter of two persons. For how many little children have died without baptism? That is so logical to me. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like how in the world? <laughs> and and not, not attacking any other faith or belief, but how in the world that one doesn't stop and be like, this doesn't make sense. Because to me, I'm like, that makes sense. Mm. Why God would allow... You know, and this was the big thing through the the apostasy, through the dark ages and middle ages, right? That I think hurt so many people's faith in Christianity was like that, you know, priests and teachers would say like, oh, your child died. They're going mm-hmm. straight to hell. They weren't baptized. Like how? How does that make sense to anyone? And, and to this day, there's still obviously religions and faiths that believe that. And I'm like, I just, that is such an unmerciful God you believe in. Mm-hmm. My God is incredibly merciful. And I mean, we, we say it's the same God, except mine seems merciful and, and the <laughs> others does not. And also it does, it does show a respecter of persons that why, why would one child, a baby who had the opportunity to live and grow up to adulthood and was baptized. And then one that died at any point in their childhood who didn't have an opportunity to get baptized, why would that child not get to go to heaven or have an opportunity? Mm-hmm. It just So to me, 
that is that is one of the logical tenets of the gospel that I'm like, yep, it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not just on a on a faith based level, on a logical foundational level. I'm like, not a problem with that doctrine in the slightest. That is the <laughs> yeah, most no. beautiful doctrine ever. Um, those are the things I got. But what, did you get anything from that chunk? Um, I kind of wanted to go back to when you were talking about like needing a physician and stuff, and mm-hmm. like. You know, you need to judge, but don't judge sort of thing. Like going back to that, I was thinking like Father Maxwell points out like how the church is like a hospital, how we're all sick. And I think you can look at someone who's cut up pretty bad and be like, wow, that's bad. Like yeah. that looks pretty gnarly. <laughs> but do you have hope they can be healed? And are you there for healing as well? Yes. So I think having that kind of hospital analogy in mind helps me at least understand that there's a balance and I think that's with a lot of, I don't know, I've been thinking about that a lot. That's a whole nother discussion. But just like how there are a lot of extremes to virtues. Yeah. But oftentimes I think it's a lot more balanced. And that's what the Holy Ghost is for is to help you. That's not to say there's no good and evil. It's, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> but the practice of good virtue. Yeah, absolutely. Like being obedient and um, having faith and charity and not judging it. I don't know. It has a median, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think that's a good point. It's actually, and that is a, it's a good point of, of way to look at it, actually. I like that. Um, in the final chunk, it's Moroni 16 to 17. It says, what does it mean to have perfect love? How does it help us overcome fear? And how does that help us teach truth with boldness? How do we develop it? It was in verse 16, where it says, woe be unto them that shall pervert the ways of the Lord after this manner, for they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God, and I fear not what man can do. For perfect love casteth out all fear. And I, I highlighted that because I, I just, um, I fear, man. There's a lot of times where I'm like, I am not saying something right now because I don't want to be judged for it, even though I'm like, it's the right thing to do or the right thing to say. And so what a fantastic example that both Mormon and Moroni were and are that they got to the point in their life where perfect love was able to like dispel any fears they might have of of anything. They could... They loved their brothers and sisters so much that they were like, I'm going to say the right thing because that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if, as we look at it like a celestial family, if you truly have a faith in the gospel, if you truly believe, you know, like preparing for the second coming, that the only way to prepare is to be prepared and to prepare others. And then you withhold that information because you're like, I just don't want to be judged for it. And, mm-hmm. and I str- I'm saying this because I struggle with it. Mm. not as a judgment to anyone else because of uh, something that like I'm trying to work on because I do get nervous and I do get scared to share the gospel because I'm like, what if it ruins a friendship? Because it has ruined friendships. Like it's yeah. not like a what if, like, well, that's a silly fear. It has. I have had people that were so uncomfortable and maybe it's because I had a terrible approach, but, <laughs> you know, that's part of learning how to be a missionary. But it's like, just finding the right opportunity, the right window, and, and all of those things. There's a whole lot. But but we should be less concerned about all the details of that and more concerned about how do we get that perfect love where it's like, you know what? I've got to do the right thing mm-hmm. because I love my brothers and sisters. I love the members of my eternal family. And and I, I would rather do the right thing and they reject me than, than not say anything. And then not give them the opportunity. And and uh, that's something that is very scary to me to mm-hmm. recognize that I need to work on that. Because I do know I need to work on that. Which 
means action <laughs> and not just taught words, you know. And hopefully, hopefully, I find the faith to to be better. But I, as I develop, obviously, that Christ-like love, I know that that naturally will help. Um, so that was the thought that I had there. Did you have any thoughts on on that chunk? Yeah, Moroni eight sixteen was one of those anchor scriptures. Like I read, like maybe two script. No, I read, <laughs> <laughs> but that was definitely like a main one that I read all the time. As like especially on your mission, because that's a place where you deal with fear of man and love of God very closely. <laughs> yeah. um, we had to talk to people all the time on the street in the metros, and it was just super scary. But um, you know uh, this. This scripture was just a real comfort to me that when you prayed for that perfect love, that fear would would dissipate. And that doesn't mean you're not nervous to share the gospel, but it does, as you practice it, it just becomes easier over time. And I really, I mean, on my mission, I was lucky to have a lot of practice to preach the gospel because a lot of people said no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love them, but <laughs> just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing is, it, it really gave me an opportunity to to feel that perfect love sometimes. Um, that's not to say that I have that all the time, but I can I can say that, you know, I I have those moments where I feel that perfect love and it's it's not scary to share the gospel in that way. Um you and that perfect love, I think it's it's not it, it's a love of your brothers and sisters and it's a love of Christ. And I think when you when you have that love of the Savior, you cannot help but love your brothers and sisters, and you cannot help like not wanting to share the gospel. Like it's just like I won't say it's a natural fruit because for some people it's it's scary. For me, it's scary. Like I just get really scared. But there are times where you just feel this overwhelming love, and I do not say this to toot my own horn at all. Um, but it was just a moment where I felt a lot of love for the French people and for the students at the BYU library. I did this twice, <laughs> but I, I soapboxed my testimony and that can be something that is, you know, looked upon as very uncomfortable. It's weird. But when I did it, I couldn't help but feel the love that the savior had for those people. Um, and it, it makes me, that's not an effective way to share the gospel at all. I testify of that. <laughs> but, you know, I've had little moments like over the summer, there was this guy buying a clock from my mom because we were moving and he's from Arkansas. He was telling me about military and I was just like, man, this guy's awesome. And I just, the Savior gave me a moment where I saw him as he did. And I just thought, you know what? He would love the gospel. And he was the savior gave me an opportunity. He served in the military and I was like, I got this book with a lot of war in it. <laughs> it's called the book of Mormon. Do you want it? And he's like, Oh yeah. Like I've heard of you guys before and yeah, I'll take a book. And I was like, all right, sweet. And I ran into the house, got a book of Mormon, <laughs> handed it to him. Never saw him again, but you know, that, that perfect love is just a, a great motivator. And I think I know people can feel it um, because it's a savior love, savior's love, whether they accept it or deny it is, their choice, them, yeah. obviously, but I think when it's genuinely there, um, it's it's undeniable, and you can walk away with a feeling of of confidence. And I think that's part of the casting out of fears. You you walk away just regardless of the result, um, just having that confidence that that perfect love is there. Absolutely. Um, did you have any other thoughts, either from that chunk or from from any part of the lesson? You know, I've shared a lot. <laughs> no, it's been fantastic. I love all your thoughts. They've been great. 
Um, I have three three scriptures that weren't necessarily from the lesson that I'll read real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, first one was in uh, 8 verse 1. It says, An epistle of my father Mormon written to me, Moroni, and it was written unto me soon after my calling to the ministry. And on this wise did he write unto me, saying... And I just... My thought here is that it says soon after my calling to the ministry, what is the ministry? My thought is that he that must have been his calling to be an apostle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it could have just been like missionary work in general or something, but it just feels more of like it would make sense to me that the church would have kept going as long as it could have. And so mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind, if that was the case, Moroni was, that was his probably his call to the apostle, like the apostleship. Um, in chapter nine, verse six. It says, and now, my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently. For if we should cease to labor, we should be brought under condemnation. For we have a labor to perform whilst in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. Um, One fantastic verse. Love that super powerful, great motivational verse. Uh, This is the attitude I think we need to have in this life, is that it doesn't matter what's happening, what's occurring, or anything like that. We need to labor diligently because that's what saints do. That is what disciples of Christ do. So that's the attitude we need to adopt. And finally, in verse 12 of chapter 9, it says, And only a few years have passed away, and they were a civil and a delightsome people. Um, this is the change from once they were delightsome people to then they were they were murdering and feeding each other to one another and, and all sorts of horrible, terrible things. And it says it was only a few years that is the society that that is the fate of a society that rejects Christ. Hmm. If we reject Christ or if we allow the rejection of Christ in our in our nations, in our homes, uh, in our communities, it will not be long before a similar fate befalls us. I have no doubt in my mind about that and like that should be something that we constantly are guarding against and fighting against. And making sure to be be examples, because if not, then as a society we will fall. So it's it's not more more of just not even just an individual responsibility as a communal responsibility. We have to be examples and believers of Christ and preach that and profess that. Because if not, once we lose Christ, we we will fall as both a community as a nation of, of all of it. We we will fall. So that obviously can't happen, and uh, and we won't let it happen. So those are my concluding thoughts. Anything, anything else, Zach, that you have to add? Just anything else in that in that tank, or, or are we empty? Um, I think my tank is empty. I'll say amen to that, though. <laughs> Fantastic. My tank is empty as well. And so with that, Zach, thank you seriously for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to all of you for joining me in this family room discussion. And please, please share your ideas, questions, and insights that you gained from Moroni chapter 7 to 9 with me. Until we meet again. Have a blessed week.